Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture, I'm Robert Bound. On this week's episode, we're off to the movies to review Zola. The film stems from a Twitter thread that went viral in 2015 by a dancer and waitress from Detroit, who is the Zola of the title, who describes a wild weekend gone much wilder than planned. She befriends a fellow dancer who takes her on a road trip to Florida to work some of the strip joints for big money and a few laughs along the way, or at least that's how the trip is pitched. Over 148 tweets, she reveals new characters and plot twists, the like of which Hollywood could only dream of. So it's no surprise that the rights to the story were snapped up and indie production powerhouse A24 has brought it to the big screen. Janik Sabravo directs Zola's Misadventure, starring Taylor Page as the eponymous character and Riley Keough as Stephanie, her new friend who's about to lead her through a whirlwind and rather sketchy 48 hours. Hey. Last month, I went dancing at this cute spot in Florida where my roommate's girl made like five Gs a night. Because my we just met yesterday and you already trying to take hoe trips together? Be ready by two. Hi, bitch! You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. And joining me today to review Zola are the film critics Simran Hans and Casper Salmon. Um, welcome both to the programme. Simran, we're going to start with you. Um, we've alluded to what the storyline entails, but can you, can you fill us in a bit without giving away too many spoilers on just what sort of a journey we're taking on in Zola? Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is a kind of Wizard of Oz style sort of epic journey where things start off very kind of gently and you know we think that everything's going to be exciting and there's an opportunity lying at the end of the yellow brick road which is a sort of highway to Tampa and then slowly as the story unfolds things get more dark more twisted and you sort of almost turns into a horror movie you think how is Zola going to get out of this situation but it's very arch and very funny in its tone and so it's sort of there's a sort of constant sense of threat hovering over the film, but it's not actually like a horror film. It's sort of vibrating at this kind of slightly scary frequency, and it really walks the line between sort of comedy and drama, I think. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic point. We'll come back to that maybe a little bit later in the programme about how Janixa Bravo, the director and the cast, kind of keep it on, keep us on tenterhooks as an audience and keep the film kind of on that interesting uh, uh, sort of fulcrum between being really quite dark and sinister and very funny at the same time. But Casper, as Simon says, they go on an amazing sketchy ride. What are the two characters like? Because this is... All of the roles in this are quite juicy, but the two actresses, um, lead actresses, are technicolour wonders in this, befitting The Wizard of Oz, I suppose, as Simran says. Tell us what, what, what they're like. Well, we have Taylor Page in the, I suppose, lead role, or nominally the lead role, of Zola, through the prism of whose consciousness the story is told. And then Riley Keough, in an extraordinary performance that I think we'll need to talk about quite a lot, um, as Stephanie, the woman who ropes her into this extraordinary, heady, dangerous, quite sick trip. And they form the kind of binary 
the basis for this film with the the two kind of polar opposites but who are connected in in various ways and I think they sort of are a two-headed beast Zola being a more pragmatic a more sober character who kind of has enough smarts to understand Stephanie but ultimately is taken aback by how wayward she is and how deep Uh, you know, how in deep she is in all of this mess that leads her to act the way way that she ultimately does. And so you've got the two of them really creating this story of uh, one person leading another and then and the ways that the two of them kind of connect and help each other out or are, you know, shocked by each other or or learn from each other. It's it's a a very kind of... um, the magnetic kind of attraction between them. It's kind of a journey into the world of sex work. And so that kind of sits on a spectrum from dancing and, and stripping to sort of more explicit sex work. And I think you sort of see that industry and that labour practice from these two different characters who have kind of different relationships to it. And it's really interesting how they're morals and their kind of personal boundaries and their sort of hunger for money are contrasted with each other and it's sort of not necessarily what you would expect from just looking at the two characters. Yeah I mean we see Zola being the sort of conservative element almost of this but also knowing how much things are worth in real life (laughs) and Riley Keough's character who's kind of slightly skittering off the rails who kind of seems to be obviously, you know, under the cosh of Coleman Domingo's character, this guy that is not the roommate, but turns out to be the pimp is the thing, right? It's an interesting dynamic that these two women kind of are wrestling with. Now, Simran, I know you you interviewed the two lead actresses, Riley Keough and Taylor Page. As we say, such vibrant performances. How did they prepare for, for, for their roles? It's really interesting. So Taylor Page, she kind of came up through a TV show that was sort of centred around dance, and she's a dancer. And so the scenes of her kind of on the pole and stripping are really interesting because she had to basically infiltrate a strip club in LA and sort of learn how to be a stripper because she was a professional dancer. She was saying that, you know, she's so placed in everything that she does and she needed to have a bit more of a kind of looser sort of sex appeal and kind of tap into something that was professionalised but not so kind of balletic. So that's kind of one of the things that she did. And yeah, she sort of had a friend of a friend who got her into a strip club and she worked there for a while. And so that's how she prepared for the role. For Riley Keough, I mean, I think the the sort of the key thing to praise her for is her total embrace of this character (laughs) who essentially is kind of in a sort of verbal blackface. Um, So she is a a young, trendy white woman who speaks like she's black and sort of, you know, we we could call it cultural appropriation, but it's sort of way more sort of far than that, if that makes sense. Like cultural appropriation doesn't even really begin to cover it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Riley Keough has sort of, and Taylor Page, both of them have described this character as being in a kind of blackface, but it's so satirical and over the top. And of course, the film was directed and co-written by a black woman. So that's the authorship that's kind of coming through. Um, And yeah, Ryder Keough had a dialect coach and she 
was sort of trying to ground the character in sort of a very real kind of young woman who had just absorbed so much black culture that she was speaking in this way. You know, like it's very earnest. It's not her kind of trying to do satire. She's sort of playing it straight. And because she goes so hard with it, that's why it works, if that makes sense. I don't know if you agree with that, Casper. Yeah, I think there's something interesting too that's revealed a little bit by that kind of black voice, to coin a phrase, which is that I think the depiction of Stephanie by Riley Keough shows her up as a victim and it shows that she is, as Simran was saying, she is passive, she is worked on by these forces around her. And it's interesting that in the film, her voice is sort of taken away from her, essentially, because we're hearing the side of the events that was related to us by the Twitter user Zola, who is firmly in control throughout, uh, firmly in control of the narrative and of presenting her own character. And she's in control in within the story in terms of how to earn money and how to, you know, how to have your own self-dignity up to the extent of, you know, for instance, refusing the sex work that you believe is demeaning to you. And I think there's something sort of almost meta there in the way that the Stephanie character is kind of never really granted her own agency. So, yeah, I think that that's quite revelatory. But there is one moment in the movie where it breaks and we get a kind of sidebar from Stephanie's point of view, which I feel sort of took me out of the movie a little bit. It's very brief, but you do, it's, she's sort of given a cursory, oh, this is Stephanie's side of the story, um, to sort of contrast with the authorship of, of the rest of the film. Yeah, well, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the structure of the film and, and also the feel of it. I mean, a lot of it is shot at night. A lot of it seems like it could have been shot on a mobile phone. It is both cinematic and sort of intimate in the style that maybe only social media can be or, or inv- in, in, invasive in, in a way that only social media can be. The, the, the angles are the way that you would take a selfie or that you would shoot something on your phone. Probably some of this stuff is gleaned from kind of mobile phone porn and stuff like this, right? So there, there are a lot of different creative and directorial tricks being played. And of course, we hear this... Twitter kind of sound every time something goes off that actually happened in real life in this in this in this sort of Twitter sphere. Simran, paint a little picture, perhaps, if you if you would, of how this film looks and feels. Well, I think one of the interesting things about it, and Casper has already said this, is that it's from Zola's perspective, but it's not from her point of view. If I can kind of distinguish the two things, so we don't sort of see it first person through her eyes. It's presented in a very kind of cinematic way where we're sort of watching objectively but what's clever is that actually what we're seeing is not objective at all and so it's little moments that foreground Zola's perspective that I think are really kind of smart creative choices so for example when we're first introduced to Stephanie in a diner there's a freeze frame and it kind of freeze frames on her face and her eyes are sort of half closed and it's a really sort of unflattering shot and it's almost like a meme or something and that's how she's kind of like remembered her first image of this girl. So I think that's very funny. Or a sort of another thing that's quite clever, when they're both at a a gas station going to the loo, there's an overhead shot of them both uh, going for a pee and you see uh, them both get up afterwards and 
Zola is very well hydrated, while uh, <laughs> Stephanie's toilet bowl is fluorescent yellow. And that tells you a little bit of something. It's a bit Barocco in there. Yeah, well, exactly. It, it tells you something about those characters and, and sort of, but it's very subtle in, in that way. And you sort of, you get Zola's brief little interjections and asides. So we are kind of, yeah, in her world. But like like you said, Rob, it is... It's very much within the A24 Florida cinematic universe, these kind of Instagram pastels, these wide vistas. It's very beautiful. It's very Florida. And then you get the sort of seediness of the neon nighttime shots and they're on the road quite a lot. And there's like a seedy motel, seedy neon lit strip clubs. I think it fits within a lineage of those films um, aesthetically. Mm. I completely agree with that, that in terms of its aesthetic, but it has an energy that's all its own. I'm sure you agree, which which you can see in kind of all of the bells and whistles and all of the kind of riotous tricks that it adopts to kind of tell its story, all of the, you know, the freeze frames and the fast edits. And I think there's, and for instance, even as you were saying, Rob, the way it it does text messages even so inventive and exciting and and pioneering in the way the characters read their texts just straight to us as viewers. It gives it a lot of intimacy and I think it it tries so much because it has to. It's replicating a Twitter thread that was completely baroque and crazy in the way that it told its narrative. And so this film has a kind of hopping energy on top of what I think is just a, a stunningly beautiful visual compact. Um, those grainy neons are, are just absolutely stunning and the, and the double shots of the two protagonists as well are really clever and intelligent. Yeah, their outfits are incredible as well. It's a total 2015 period piece of mm. the girls in sort of Instagram influencer style cohorts. So, you know, Riley Keough, she wears this like amazing green snakeskin, um, like tube top and leather trousers. And, you know, she's literally a sort of evil snake with pointy devil nails, you know. And she's got these braids that are kind of slick back, almost like horns. And yeah, the way they're styled is is really, is really cool. Yeah, kudos to the costume designer for, uh, for, for their get-up. Casper, you've talked about the incredible energy of the film, uh, and that, in large part, is also down to a wonderful soundtrack from Mika Levi. Tell us about the soundtrack and, and the world it puts us in. Yeah, the the soundtrack. Um, so I didn't know it was, it was um, by them at all when I was watching the film, and I just kept thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this is so good. It's really punctuating this film and and thumping out a kind of harrowing anxiety alongside these events, which perhaps otherwise could be more exciting or, or, you know, um, uh, euphoric almost in their kind of crazed energy. Um, But that score reminds you to be alarmed in some way and it also gives it rhythm so much of it is percussive that score and there's an extraordinary scene where the characters arrive at a motel and they're unpacking their car and in the background upstairs on a balcony there are two boys playing with a basketball and the rhythm that they thump out with that basketball is a constant, so they're constantly doing the same four beats with the ball. And that concords so beautifully with that score, which 
is very kind of staccato in the in the beats that it um, imposes on the film, and it's just so inventive and and I think so resourceful. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, as you say. Yeah, it, it it's sort of always on the verge of being like a euphoric sort of electronic thing, almost like a like dance music or kind of like the kind of dance music you can't dance to, maybe. <laughs> and then it, it, as you say, Casper, it brings you back to that worry, that naggingness that that, that follows you around in in the movie. Well, when I think of Mika Levi, I think Under the Skin, and I think Jackie. Those are the two mm-hmm. scores of theirs that kind of spring to mind. And there's this gnawing anxiety and kind of churning dread and a slightly horror edge even if those films aren't within the horror genre that I think they bring to to their scoring and it's that like undertone of threat that um, I think really kind of like Casper says drives the narrative and kind of takes you on this journey in this downward spiral towards their own personal hell right um i wanted to ask you before we turn to your sort of further reading and 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 the and the movies that it reminded you of is is how how the how the film keeps it sort of it's good humor it's kind of dark humor but how, how it keeps it from being a gritty drama essentially right it, it, it's it's an interesting kind of fulcrum we're on as, as as we said before um simran how does it how does it sort of manage that uh, other than with perhaps just the the charm of those performances I think it's just really funny. I mean, Casper and I slightly disagree on this because I think it's laugh out loud hilarious. And I I think, Casper, you can appreciate its humour, but it didn't land in exactly the same way Mm -hmm. for you. And I think for me, a lot of that is to do with the dialogue and how the tweets are translated into kind of speech and to words that you'd say out loud. Because you have to remember with a tweet, that's something that you're thinking about, you're typing, and it's not necessarily going to be read out loud. So it's so funny when it is in a kind of quite literal way. And I think part of this is to do with um, the co-writer, Jeremy O'Harris, who is a playwright. He wrote Slave Play. And he has this kind of almost avant-garde approach. Casper described the film as Baroque, the Twitter thread as Baroque um, earlier, which I think is perfect. And I think the the way that speech is given space and um, kind of seriousness and theatricality while also being tweets. Uh, I think that's really funny. <laughs> and uh, yeah, indeed, there are there, there are many Rococo moments uh, in this movie, <laughs> un, un, unbeknownst to the protagonist, perhaps. We've mentioned that this is an a, a typical A24 production, etc., um, by what do we what do we mean when when we say that? Can you give us a little bit of a background on A twenty four? Oh gosh, I'm not I'm not really in the A twenty four cult, so you haven't got the tattoo, <laughs> you haven't got the secret handshake. Okay. I was actually cooking me this last weekend. There are people who do have A twenty four tattoos. It's alarming. You can see them. <laughs> and on there, the I was thinking I was joking. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I I've literally seen it. It's horrendous. Um, um, but I suppose it's um, a kind of idea of American indie filmmaking, which is vibrant and colourful and which sweetens its grit by a kind of decorative prettiness, I would say, at times. And I think it's an aesthetic that speaks very much to a young audience, one brought up on the internet. And so it is easily gifable <laughs> and it's easily <laughs> viewed on the internet as a kind of cinematics so it's it's a it's a strange one um and you know you're talking about films 
from moonlight onwards. I mean, moonlight obviously sticks out uh, for a, a different kind of aesthetic because there's something so sort of uh, worked out there. But you're still looking at something that's uh, through that A24 look and feel, something that's that's very polished, I think, overall. OK, I think you, you deserve the tattoo. But probably in a... <laughs> or at least a baseball cap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Casper, um, thank you for your rounding up on A24 there. And indeed on Zola, which I think we all kind of loved, actually. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's so wonderful to see something. It's a funny thing also when you kind of go, well, this film came from 148 tweets. There's a kind of, a lot of people might have the kind of the, the mass eye roll there at, at the idea that that would be turned into a movie. And it is so sort of, it's so athletic and gymnastic in its humour and what it does with all sorts of issues and roles. And it's just wonderful. It's such a wonderful thing. It is. Uh, I should say, though, the film at the end just ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just logs off. Like, <laughs> it's like you do have that kind of feeling like when you get to the, the, the end of a Twitter thread, you're like, oh, and, and that's, yeah, I suppose that's it. <laughs> I'll, I'll be going on my way. <laughs> Do you feel hollow and empty inside? Sort of like, your prurience yeah. for following 148 tweets. <laughs> exactly, in the best way. Yeah. The Twitter thread is well worth looking up, by the way. Uh, if you haven't read it already or you didn't read it when it went viral in 2015, it's worth a Google for sure. Yeah, I love that. That's that's original 21st century source material, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both. Now, Simran, we're going to come to you um, for your further reading, your further watching in this case, of course. And you've chosen Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers. Tell us a little bit about this one. Well, so I feel Casper's teed it up perfectly for me by giving you a kind of primer on the A24 aesthetic because actually Spring Breakers is produced by A24. It was released in, I think, 2012. And um, it's, I think, the sort of earliest example that I can think of of the kind of A24 (laughs) cinematic universe, specifically the version set in Florida. So the thing that people remember about this movie which stars Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hudgens and James Franco is the scene of them all kind of singing along and playing the piano to Britney Spears every time and then the scene kind of exploding into guns and violence with all of the sound drained out apart from this sort of twinkly beautiful ballad over the top that was the sort of the moment that people really seized on um, when this film came out. And it's really a sort of Girls Gone Wild story about four kind of college-age young women who go and party in Florida on their spring break and they kind of get sucked into this sort of seedy underworld with James Franco as a sort of pimp-esque figure uh, with loads of guns. Uh, There's a famous scene where he uh, shows them around his apartment Uh, The look at all my shit scene, which, sorry, not swearing on the podcast. But yeah, I I, I think this movie, like, I I really loved it at the time. And, you know, Casper, you were saying that in A24 language, we think of it as um, films that can be gift. And actually, this was a little bit earlier in the sort of internet evolution. And so I I think of this as a sort of Tumblr film, a film that could be screen grabbed and the sunset shots kind of posted posted on Tumblr but I think the film's relationship to Zola is interesting because they're both kind of within the same aesthetic lineage they're both set in Florida they both deal with the sort of edges of sex work um, and kind of uncomfortable power dynamics between young women and 
men sort of who have a violent edge but also they're both just really fun movies and they're totally different tonally but I do think that yeah Spring Breakers is a kind of interesting movie to re-watch in the context of something like Zola and uh, its politics as well seem very kind of stuck in 2012 compared to the kind of progressive politics of something like Zola in 2021. Yeah indeed thank you Simon uh, that was Spring Breakers from Harmi Corinne that came out in 2012. Casper we're heading we're, we're staying in the Sunshine State with Sean Baker's The Florida Project from 2017. This is just such a good theme it runs and runs like 148 a uh, tw- uh, character tweet. Tell us about this one. <laughs> I think the Florida Project might also be A24. It is, yeah. Um, oh man, you've, you're upgraded from the baseball cap. <laughs> um, and yet I love it um, as a film. Uh, I think the Florida Project has, in the same way as this film, a way of hiding or concealing everything that is difficult and upsetting about its storyline behind these riotous colours and it convinces you that it's a film about something else in the opening stages. You believe you're watching a film about a young girl um, and its protagonist indeed is a, a little girl running wild with her friends through the Florida outback, you know, behind the motel where she lives with her single mother and it's about her and her friends and Gradually, you realise that the film isn't about her at all and it's very much about her mother and it's about the ploys that her mother has adopted to get her daughter out of the house while she um, works as a sex worker to pay their bills. And her mother is unbalanced and is, is a bad mother in many ways, which you see more towards the end of the film. But it's an extraordinary performance by Bria Van Eyck in the role of this this child's mother and I was reminded of it very much in the performance by Riley Keough who I think also plays somebody at the mercy of economic forces and who's putting a, a very much a brave face on what is a tricky and gnarly destiny or existence. So yeah, the film reminded me of the Florida Project because I mean, you know, they're, they're set in the same <laughs> A24 universe as Sim says. And I think they do something similarly tricksy of hiding their anguish and everything that they're about. And, and especially, I think, which is so important in the universe of, of Zola, the economics, the sheer American drudgery of getting those dollars beautifully put casper thank you very much that is sean baker's the florida project from 2017 sounds like we're kind of in the um in the realm of kind of the american kitchen sink drama but with kind of in a very kind of mediated 21st century um and with a bit more humor perhaps as well riley keogh is giving through her career an extraordinary portrait of america overall i think because she appeared in what's the name of the andre arnold film american honey yeah american honey her performance there is similarly i mean it's a different one but it's very heightened and also the steven soderbergh film logan lucky again there she's sort of in the american south and through her performances this granddaughter of elvis presley is often playing on the limits of race of you know of whiteness and of American fascination with money. And it's quite incredible that she's sort of doing it, I think, through her, you know, her own kind of star image. I don't know if you agree, Simon. 
yeah, I, I think she's an extraordinary actress. And um, yeah, I, I would definitely seek out American Honey. It's interesting. And when I interviewed her, she said that she'd already played the role of the bad bee in uh, American Honey. Mm. And so this wasn't going to be the same thing. It was more of a twist on that. Um, and it was kind of taken to a, a different place with a different energy. But I think you're right, Casper. I think she um, she definitely is kind of exploring the limits of what it means to be a 21st century American woman. Well, thank you both um, so much, uh, Simran Hands and Casper Salmon, and of course to my producer, Holly Fisher, for your wit and wisdom today. And Janixa Bravo's wonderful Zola is out in cinemas around the world now. We'll be back at the same time next week. But for the time being, from me, Robert Bound, thank you very much for tuning in. 